Good morning and Happy New Year to you all. It's good to see you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're going to be in Deuteronomy this morning. And I hope you guys all had a wonderful Christmas break, a wonderful New Year. You know, my, my family, we had a wonderful time. My boys are heading back to college today, so a little sadness in my heart. We're all dispersing now again to, the, to where we're, we're all going. And, and, uh, but it, it, it was just that we had a wonderful time, and I hope that you and your family did well. You know, I, I have to share this because my, I was so excited. You know, one of the things I challenged you, our church on, was um, just the, the, the opportunity to close out 2022 with a really good uh, you know, offering. And, and we don't talk about money a lot, not that there's anything wrong with talking about money, because how we steward our finances is an important thing. But I want you to know that last month, uh, with what was given in the month of December, was the second best month of giving in the history of our church. So I want to just praise God and thank you. Yes, let's give God the, the glory. And, uh, you know, we're in two weeks, the elders and I, we're going to be heading out in our, uh, our annual elder retreat. And, you know, when, when we have good moments like that that help us, you know, we obviously want to hear from God. But when, when, when we're faithful in giving to, to the mission and to the vision of this church, um, we're, we just know that there's more opportunities that we want to take advantage of uh, to, to spread the gospel in Lake Norman and beyond. So uh, thank you for that. Um, one of, the, one of the phrases I've been thinking about the sermon as they're beginning this new series called Legacy Planning is the phrase that keeps popping into my mind is problems create opportunities. Problems create opportunities. One of my favorite movies is the, is the movie Moneyball. And it's a story, uh, it's a true story of how a general manager of the Oakland A's has to put together his team. And the problem is, is that Billy Bean, who's the, who's the general manager, uh, he doesn't have the, the, the biggest budget compared to teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox. And so, you know, he has to be a, have a good eye for talent. It's just the story of how he goes through the process. And every year, no matter how great they do and make it to the playoffs, his best players get picked off by the biggest teams every single year. And so what he tries to do, it's a problem. And there's no way he has the money to compete with these other teams. But the expectation is, you got to win. And so what he decides to do is to find players that no one else is looking for. And it's a story of how they're able to identify uh, you know, you know, teams or, or in, individuals that are able to help them win. And so it's the story of this team of misfits that is able to do some amazing things during the year. But it's this idea that... The problem of not having enough money helped them be creative at finding talented players. Uh, we see this in other areas. For example, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of uh, horrible and negative things that can come out of war. But we also know this, that you know, compared to where we were 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the science of prosthetic limbs has increased dramatically since some of our wars that we've had in Afghanistan and Iraq. And so you see how the problem of, 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 the, of some of the repercussions of war have led to some things that are actually benefiting people today. Problems create opportunities. You might have experienced this yourself. You know, there's, there's a problem that you have with your health, and that problem helped you put you on a path that helped you repair some of the things and some of the habits that you've had in your own life. Uh, you might have had an issue at work or maybe a, a crisis in your career that put you on a path 
towards a better career and a more, a more aligned career of what is, is your gifts, your dreams, and your abilities. And so you have maybe have been able to experience that problems create opportunities. And that's where I feel like we find ourselves today. You know, we just got done with a sermon series, Thriving in Babylon. And we just looked at the, the story of Daniel, the book of Daniel, and how Daniel was this person, follower of Yahweh, who was sent to Babylon, and how he thrived in his faith. And every week as we studied that book, you know, this is a wonderful journey for our church and for us to study because we realize, man, we are living in a different world. We're living in Babylon, and there's this, this, this problem of how are we going to do this? And one of the things I kept hearing from you, some of you as parents, as grandparents, and some of you even as young people would come talk to me about the challenges of, man, how do you raise kids in Babylon today? What are we going to do? You know, there's all these problems that we see before us. You know, people's attentions on screens and, and, and the influences of the world. And there's all of these things that feel like, man, these are big problems. But here's what I believe. I don't think we should shrink back. I don't think we should hide. I don't think we should cower. I don't think we should become a holy huddle. Because what I believe is that the problem of Babylon creates an opportunity for us, whether you are a young person in this room, whether you are a parent or a grandparent or just an influencer in this room, to say, what are we going to do to make sure the next generation of parents, the next generation of young people are going to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. Because what we have seen is that for the last few generations, every generation since World War II has become significantly less Christian. Less Christian in their behavior, less Christian in their beliefs. And right now, Generation Z, which is the generation that's right around 22 years old and younger, is a generation that at this moment is what most statistics tell us is less than 4% born-again evangelical Christians. That is significant. And so when you have 96% of a generation that does not know the Word of God, that doesn't have the biblical values, man, we've got to ask ourselves, what can we do to change that? And so what I believe the opportunity we have before us is to say what we're going to do is do everything within our power that we are going to see that trend go in the different direction. Amen? That's what I believe can happen. There is a problem. There is a problem of Babylon in our streets. There's a problem of Babylon in our schools, in our workplaces. But I also believe, I also believe there's an opportunity for us that can influence the next generation that can do something about it. And that's, what I, that's why we're turning to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is this book of the Bible. It's the fifth book of the Bible. And it's the, the, fifth, the final book that Moses wrote uh, of the Pentateuch, uh, or the Torah, the law that we have. And so it's one of the first books of the Bible written by Moses. And Deuteronomy is essentially one giant sermon. You know, you're not going to find a lot of narrative. You know, it's sometimes when you're reading through the Bible, the, the, the narrative parts of Scripture can be a little bit easier to read because they feel like they're stories. Well, Moses may recount some stories, but this is just one giant sermon. Moses is at the end of his life. He is 120 years old, and he is not going to be going into the promised land. He has led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. 
He has taken them and, and through the Red Sea. They've gone through the, to the precipice of the Promised Land 40 years ago, and that generation said, we're scared, we want to go back to Egypt. And God said, well, now you're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Moses has been, through, has been the leader, has, has walked with this nation for 40 plus years, and now the next generation is before the Promised Land. They are now ready. They've seen the mistakes that the previous generation has made, and they are now ready to enter into the promised land. And so Moses gives this final sermon, the final time. Imagine, imagine that. You know, imagine you being a parent, and you have that final, if you knew that you weren't going to see your kids anymore, what would you tell them? If you, if you were working with a group of people that you love and you're never going to see, if you're going to move away and never see a, a group of friends again, what would you tell them? How would you, well, how would you what, would, what would be the message that you're trying to share with them? And that's essentially what Moses does. I remember years ago, uh, we used to get the USA Today at my house every single day. And I know that's, a, that's, a, that's becoming a rare occurrence is to get a daily newspaper in your household. But I remember... Uh, when Ronald Reagan, who was a, our 40th president, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and he wrote the nation a final letter, and they published it in the USA Today. I remember reading it as a young man and just, and just realizing, you know, there was, there's a lot of heartfelt emotion, realizing that he was never going to, he was going to be much different. He couldn't, he was never going to be able to address the nation again. And, and you get the sense of, of the, of the gravity of what Moses is feeling right now. I will not see you again. Here's the things you've got to learn. Here are the things you have to remember. And the things that he keeps telling him over and over and over again is you got to love God. you got to follow God. you got to be faithful to God. And you have to teach the next generation how to do this. Because you will not succeed you will not prosper in that land if you do not teach the next generation. And that was the opportunity that, that Moses gives to this people. And so that's what, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we have this. If you, in fact, if you look at uh, verse 15, it says, See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. Now, when you hear those words, what should, you know, that, that, those words right there should be, make an alarm go off in our heads. Where have you heard life and death, good and evil before as a choice to someone? Does that ring a bell? Garden of Eden, right? And it's that God prepared a land for Adam and Eve, put them in the land and said, you have two trees to choose from. Well, Moses now is, is we see the, the cycle of God's work again. Now it's not just a couple, it is a nation. God's people, he has called out of Egypt. He has made a covenant with them on Mount Sinai. And he says, you are going to be representing me to the world. So now I'm going to give you a land again. And you've got two choices before you today. The opportunity, there's been problems in the past. You've been slaves. There, your previous generation did not love me. They didn't want to follow me. They wanted Egypt more than they wanted the promised land. But now you have a choice. What are you going to do with that choice? And, and, and I feel like this is, a, this is a, a very relevant book for us. Because just like this group of people had a choice to make, they had another opportunity to, to make things right. You and I have the same opportunity. You, listen, 
you might be sitting here this morning and you might be looking back at your life and you feel like, Ben, man, I, 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 my kids are out of the house and I made some mistakes. And my kids aren't following God the way I want them to. Or you might be sitting here this morning and saying, man, I've got, I've got my kids in my house. And man, th- there's influence happening, but I'm not sure it's the right kind of influence. In fact, I feel like I'm losing the battle for my kids' hearts. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I don't even know what to do. I know when you come in here on Sundays and, and I hear what you're saying, Ben, that we should be doing something. But, but man, I feel lost. I don't, I don't understand how to do this. How do I influence my kids? Or you might be sitting there and saying, man, I don't have kids and I'm just, it's just me right now in my house. But, but man, I have a burden to share because of what I went through as a young person. Listen, I don't care where you are today or what problems you've had in your past, today lies before you an opportunity to influence, an opportunity to choose God. And that's exactly what the main idea I want to leave you with this morning, that all of us that have problems, problems create an opportunity to choose God. It doesn't matter what your past is. Your past is a part of your story. And before you today... As we're going to choose to, if we're going to choose to influence the next generation of parents, the next generation of young people, what we've got to do is understand that we have a choice. We have a choice to make. Are we going to continue the trend of seeing the next generation as just twice as, twice as, you know, less amount of Christians as, as there is right now? Right now, what, as Christian Smith, a researcher out of the University of Notre Dame has been following the trends of, of young people in faith for tw- over 20 years. And the statistics tell us that 85% of young people that grow up in the church walk out the doors of the church when they graduate never to return. 85%. And here's what I know. That if, you know, the definition of insanity, you've heard this, that, you know, the definition of insanity is, is doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different outcome, right? Well, listen, if, if we keep doing things the way we've always done them and we expect more people, the next generation to follow Jesus more than the previous generation, we're not getting it. We've got to make changes. We've got to, to rethink how we're doing things. And I think about this idea of why we're calling it legacy planning is because I think one of the greatest uh, weaknesses that I see in the church today, the greatest weaknesses I've seen, I've, I've been a Christian for you know right around 40 years. I'm 46 years old. I grew up in a pastor's home. I went to Bible college. I've been a pastor for 23 years. I understand, I've been around church my entire life. And what I can say is what I have seen for generations is two major problems that, that I've seen within the church. And that is this, a, a, a continual problem of passivity with parents and especially dads to train their children in the faith. There, there's a lot of passivity in saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to outsource that to the youth pastor. Discipleship by proxy. I'm going to let other people make sure that they, I'm going to pay for a Christian education at school. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that they're in right environments, but I might myself am not going to teach the word of God. And because we don't have moms and dads being the primary voices of discipleship in their kids, kids are walking away from the faith. That's number one. The second problem is most parents don't have a plan. We don't have a plan. And so what happens, you know, and if you think about life, Plans are a part of our lives. I mean, some of you have, you have career 
paths. You have plans for your career. You have retirement plans. You, have, you know what you're going to put away every single month to so make sure that at this date, at this year, I can retire. Some of you are making vacation plans. You know, over break, you're researching what you're going to do this summer and you're figuring out what week you're going to take and you're making sure everything's schedules are lining up, who's coming to be, be in town and, and okay, make sure you get this week off of work and, and you're researching where you're going to go and what you're going to do. We plan for vacations. Some of you plan what you're going to eat every single, every single week, right? You have meal plans. We're going to eat spaghetti on Sundays. We're going to have soup on Mondays. We're going to have chicken on Wednesdays. I mean, you've got it planned out. We plan so many things. Should we not also have a plan for how we're going to impact and influence the people behind us? And I think that's the challenge. And I think that's what Moses is addressing here in the sermon. We're going to be spending, after the Sunday, we're going to be spending the next seven weeks in a section of Deuteronomy, chapter 6 and 7. Because that really is the heart. And there's three different parts of Moses' sermon here. And the first part, which is uh, you know, from the very first chapter to chapter 11, is really the, the, the bulk of the, the meat of what Moses is trying to get across you got a big group of details that are in the middle, and then at the end he kind of gives this final challenge. And that's what we have here this morning in Deuteronomy 30. Is this He's summarizing this challenge, and I think it's an appropriate text for us today because what we have today before us is a problem that's created an opportunity for you and I to make a choice. The same choice that Moses is challenging the people of God to make thousands, almost 3,000 years ago is the same opportunity that you and I have today. And so, again, let's, let's read this again, verse 15. It says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish." You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess it. As I, as I read this passage, there's really two choices to choose God. If we're going to choose God, there's two choices we've got to make. The first one is this, choose God's influence. Choose God's influence in your life. Moses knows they have two paths to take, life or death, good or evil, blessing or curse, success or or failure. These are the two choices. And what he's saying is, you have to allow your heart to be shaped by God in his word first. Because if you don't choose God to influence your heart, you cannot, you cannot influence the next generation. And if you do influence them, it's not going to be what it could or should be. And so this is the first thing we've got to do. If we're, going to, if we're going to see the generations behind us follow after God, it doesn't it make sense that our current generation or the people who are in the driver's seat that we're going to say, I'm following God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. That is what Moses is saying here. And so the challenge that he's giving them today is, listen, you have two choices 
because you have two outcomes. If you choose one direction, it will lead to one thing. Right there, he says again in verse 18, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going. If your heart is drawn away by other gods and say, I want to follow my own path. I want to do my own thing. I want to live life my own way. Then that will lead to the dominoes are going to fall. Right? The dominoes are going to fall either way. They're going to fall this way or the dominoes are going to fall that way. But you have that choice. And there's a couple words that I see here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and I see throughout the book of Deuteronomy that are mentioned over and over and over again. And I just read through them. And we're not going to really do a deep exegesis of this text because I really am trying to give an overview this morning. But there's four words that I see throughout the book of Deuteronomy that, that really summarize what Moses wants the people to understand and to get. And the four words are this. Hear, love, keep, teach. Hear, love, keep, teach. If we want God to influence us, that means we're going to have to let, we're going to have to hear and listen to God. We're going to have to love him with all of our hearts. We're going to have to keep his commandments and keep his ways. And then we're going to have to teach them or pass them along to someone else. That's the essential formula. That's what, if I was to summarize the book of Deuteronomy, that's it. Hear, love, keep, teach. That's what he's saying over and over again throughout these, these chapters, this long sermon. These four words, in fact, the first word, hear. The word here, shema, is used 91 times in this book. In fact, the Shema, maybe you've heard that before, but it's, it's, that's reference to a saying in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to look at that in a couple weeks. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 is the, the Shema that if you are a good uh, you know, religious Jew or an Orthodox Jew, you will get up every single morning and you will recite the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the reason it's called Shema is because that word hear is the Hebrew word Shema. And this word hear is not just a, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm getting vocal waves into my ears. Okay, that's not hear. That's not Shema. Shema is this idea that a, what I, I'm, I'm listening with this anticipation and with the intention that I'm going to do what you're telling me. Okay. That there are times when we shema and there's times when we don't shema. For example, you know, you get a phone call, all right? And you and and we got we got numbers today that tell us whether something's spam or not. But everyone, you know, you might be the type of person you never answer that unless there's that you know the number knows, you know that number coming through, you just don't answer it, right? You, some of you are like that. For me, I'm I'm one of these Russian roulette guys. I'm like, I'm gonna see who this is, right? My wife's always like, why do you do that? You don't know who they are, but you know, I just I'm like, I just wonder, I just sometimes wonder, right? And and you know, you answer the phone and it's, you know, you're, you're like, hello. And it's, if there's ever like a two, three minute break, you're like, oh, you know, it's it's one of those robots, right? Or you get a hello, hey, I've got a deal for you today. Not gonna shema, right? That's no shema for that. But you, you know, you you get the phone call and it's you know, the doctor's office waiting for test results, and you answer the phone, and you are shamaing, right? And the problem is usually when you get that phone call to shema, everyone around you, the kids are like, ah, 
ah, it's chaos. And you as a parent have this, this ingrained ability to yell at your kids without saying, making a sound, right? You all know how to do this, right? You're like, you're listening, you're like, to make them know, like, you better be quiet. As your parent, you just learn how to do that. But when, you're, when chaos is going around you, right, and you have to listen to that, the message that's being sent to you that is very important, you are shema-ing that, that, that phone call. That's what we're talking about here. Hear, O Israel. I want you to hear these words. This is really important. And if we do not hear the word of God, if we do not hear the message from the Lord, we will hear other messages. There's so many other messages that we hear every single day. And in the, in the stream of messages that we are getting all the time, what we've got to do is make sure we're prioritizing hearing from God's word. Listen, I, here's my challenge to you today, is that you will make the commitment, whether you're an individual or as a family, to say for the next seven weeks after today, we will be here. Because I, I think what, there's a couple of things that have happened post-COVID that we can look back and say two things have happened. Number one, a huge chunk of people that used to go to church no longer go to church, Right? We see that, and that's true across the board. I don't care what denomination you are or what church you are. But the second thing is this, that people that do attend church attend church less. And I want to challenge you, if you have gotten into the bad habit of, of kind of slacking off on being in the room to hear God's word preached and taught, that I want to challenge you to make the, the dedication, to make the commitment to Shema this year that you will hear the message. You will hear the word of God because if you do not hear, you will not know, you will not understand, which means you cannot live it out. It all begins with Shema. We gotta hear. The next word is love. Love. And one of the things that Moses says, again, right after the Shema, what does he say? I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you, I, I, why is Moses saying this? Why is he saying love is so important? Because he has been the guy who has mediated the relationship between God's people and God. He was the one God called to be the, the messenger. Hey, I'm the prophet. Pharaoh, let these people go. They're, they're God's people. He was the one. He was advocating for them. He was representing them. When they're on Mount Sinai, Moses is the one who's going up and getting the law. The people are down you know, in the valley, and they're worshiping the golden calf, and God's like, I'm going to strike them down. And Moses is like, don't do it, God. You know, you know, make it, think about what the Egyptians will think about you. Right? He's mediating. And then you have in all these other, the people like, oh, we hate the desert. We hate it. We hate it. We want to go back to, we can go back to Egypt. And God's like, I'm going to kill him. And Moses like, God, you can't do that. Think about, think about your glory, God. And so you see this Moses, Moses is this representative. And here's what Moses knows. I know you people. And I know your hearts. And I know, the, I know your fathers and your mothers. And I know what family you come from. And you're all messed up. If, if left to yourselves, Good things are not going to happen. And so what I'm challenging you today to do is understand this. If you want to change, you got to love God. And the only way you can love God is by understanding how much he loves you. 
What's so scary about the story of the Exodus leading up to Deuteronomy is we see over and over and over again God's love being poured out on his people. God loved, he heard their cries. He says he remembered the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he, and he, and he had compassion for them. And it was God's love that rescued them out of slavery and bondage and death. It was the love of God that he brings them to the sea, and as Pharaoh is coming, he confuses Pharaoh with a whirlwind, and he parts the Red Sea, and they're able to walk past the, the, the wall of water to dry land and to, to consume the enemies. It was God's love that when they were hungry and thirsty in the wilderness, he made water flow out of a rock and bread fall from heaven. It was the love of God that, that, that shielded them with a cloud by day and fire by night. It was the love of God that sustained them, that their sandals didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. God kept loving them, loving them, showing them his love over and over and over again, and the people could only see what they used to have in Egypt. And listen, one of the most profound realities that we have to realize as human beings is that we can, be, we can come face to face with the power and the glory and the majesty of God's love for us, and we can completely miss it. And I'm here to tell you today, maybe you're, we don't have the same story as the Exodus, but you and I have the story of God's love, that God loved you enough that 2,000 years ago, he sent his son as a human, taking on human form, to live the life that you could not live, and to die the death that you and I deserved and to conquer sin and death for us so that we might have newness of life, that we might have eternal life with him. God loved you enough to give you his Holy Spirit. God loved you enough to convict you of sin. God loved you enough to rescue you out of the pit. God loved you enough to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know what your story is this morning, but I do know this. If we, if we, don't, if we miss God's love, that is a me problem, not a God problem. And God loves you. I want to say this, and I hope you hear it, and I hope you realize it. God loves you. And because he loves you so much, we now have the opportunity to love him. Will you do it? Will you love him? Or will you let your heart be captivated? As Moses says, you'll have a choice to make. Your heart may be drawn away by other idols. Is your, you see, if your heart is filled with an idol this morning, there's no room for God. If, you're, if your idol is money, if your idol is, is a relationship, if your idol is pleasure, if your idol is your career, even if your idol is your children, there's no room for God. And listen, you can ruin your kids by making them the God of your life. Okay? What, 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 what kids need to see is mom, moms and dads loving Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we hear and we understand and then we respond in love, the third word is keep. We keep his command. See, God, God is not interested in us keeping some, some stale moral code for our lives. Like the, the Ten Commandments are merely like a bunch of rules that God's like, hey, you know, do these ten things. 
They are good, they are truth, but if they are built upon love. God always makes the connection that if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Obedience is always connected with love. And if we understand and we believe and we, and we thrive in our love, then keeping the commands of God, keep this word, the Hebrew word is shamar. And I believe that this is actually, it's a play on words, but it's used 73 times in the book of Deuteronomy. I think it's a play on words of the word hear. You need to, you need to shema and you need to shamar. You need to hear the word of God. You need to keep the commands of God. We need to shema and shamar. This word keep means this, I'm, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to protect. Like God's commands, God's statutes, his rules, all the different words that, that Deuteronomy uses for the commands of God, that these are things that are a priority to me. These, this is not burdensome. This is not something, oh, do I have to do this? Right? That's not what we're talking about. This is talking about, this is something I love. Therefore, because I love something, I will keep the commands. This past week, um, we had a bunch of kids in my house. When I say kids, they're you know, ages 17 to 21. We had friends from my, from my kids come down from Michigan and Illinois. And, and uh, you know, they were in our house for a week. And it was just like, I mean, my heart is full when my, my house is full, right? But, but man... Those kids ate so much food. I mean, it was uh, unbelievable. And, and one of these kids, they're all good kids, love them. And one of these kids is a uh, young person. He's a bodybuilder. And it's not like he's, you know, you're like, really? No, no, you can tell. He's a bodybuilder, okay? Like, he, he looks like it. He fills out everything, and he's, he's a big guy. And because he loves being a bodybuilder, there are certain things that he does. There are certain commands and statutes and rules that he keeps because he wants, there's a show coming up this, this summer and he wants to do well. So certain amount of calories he eats, certain amount of time he's in the gym, certain amount of weights he's got to lift. Like there are rules that he lives by. But you know what? He's not like, oh, I got to go to the gym today. It's not him. Why? Because he loves what he's doing. He's like, can't we go to the gym? See, that's, that's what it looks like when our hearts are full with God. Then you know what? We can't wait to keep the commands. It's a joy. It's a pleasure. I love, you know, Jesus makes his connection in the upper room discourse. And when he's teaching his disciples, one of the things he says in there, he connects, he connects love obedience, and joy. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands and my joy will be in you. See, if it, it, it all, that's how it flows. Loving God with our hearts, that way we're keeping his commands and then our heart is full with joy. Listen, this morning, if you have no joy in your life, it's because you haven't begun hearing the word of God, loving God, keeping and obeying his commands. And that leads to this joy, this this experience with God. And when we have this experience with God, then the fourth word, teach. Hear, love, keep, teach. Now, some of you, that word freaks you out. Because you're like, what do you mean teach? When you think of teach, it's like, do I get up in front, you know, do I stand up at the dinner table and say, all right, kids, sit there, all right? I'm going to teach you the Bible tonight get you a pulpit, right? You buy yourself a pulpit in the living room. You're like, all right, 
We're having a sermon every single week now. I'm teaching you. No, that's not what I'm talking about. When, when Moses uses the word teach, what he's saying is, I want you to share the story of how God has changed you. Instead of thinking of you know, something formal, something, you know, something presentation, what, what he's saying is, I just want you to share the story how God has changed your life. And when you think about it, the book of Deuteronomy is a testimony of that. Think, go back to the very beginning. Moses, he's, he's rescued out of the water. He's raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He thinks he's got a plan of how to rescue the, his own people, and he kills an Egyptian. And, and then he, you know, the, Israel's like, who are you? And they don't care about him. And Pharaoh gets mad, and he runs off into to the wilderness as an, as an exile. And for 40 years, he's living in Midian, watching sheep. And God says, okay, I think, I think you're ready. I've humbled you enough. You know, if you think you got pride problems, you know, just think about Moses. Moses had a pride problem. And it took 40 years to get it out of him. Because when God approaches Moses when he's 80 years old, and he's, ta- he's a shepherd, and God says, Moses, you're my guy. And Moses is like, well, well, me? No, 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 no. And you remember one of the first things that Moses tells God why he can't do it? I can't, I can't save these people. I can't, I can't go to Pharaoh. You know why? Because I can't talk. I'm not a good communicator. I'm horrible at communication. God, you're going to have to find someone else. Isn't it so beautiful? Isn't it just like God? That God takes a guy who can't talk, who's horrible at communicating, and for his final act, he has a sermon in the Bible. That's what God does. That's what God does with you. And what our, our greatest story to share is the transformation of, of who we are or who we've been. And what, what the next generation needs to hear, the next generation of parents, the next generation of kids, what they need to hear is your story of redemption. They need to hear your story of transformation. They need to hear a story that says, man, I was once like this, but this is how God changed me. That's what people need to hear. This is, this is the opportunity. This is the, your problem of your sin, the problem of your past mistakes. If you let God into your life, what he does is he takes that problem and he transforms us and he changes us, and he molds us, and then he gives you the opportunity to help someone else who's struggling with your same thing. Teach, influence. You all, all of us, every one of us in this room, we have a story of God's power to share. And sometimes the greatest stories that we have to share, the greatest teaching moments, the greatest teaching opportunities flow from our failures. Don't let the enemy beat you up, keep you feeling defeated in your life. Because there's too many people today where God, yes, God has rescued them, but they've stayed silent and not shared the amazing stories of God's power. Don't let that be you.
And when we do that, when, when once we choose God's influence in our own life, well, you know what that leads us to? Number two, choosing God's influence for the next generation. Choosing God's influence for the next generation. Whether this is the, again, I, I don't want you to just think young people, though. Yes, we want young people to hear this and to know this. We're talking anyone that's behind you. The next generation, it could be the next generation young people. It could be the next generation of, 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 of adults. But there is someone in your life you can look back that's farther down the, you know, you know, further back in the road than you are. And you can say, I can help them. You know, Liz and I, we, you know, we're, we're about going to celebrate 25 years this summer marriage. And you know what we, we talk about a lot is, is the things that we, the stories, the, the lessons, the, the way God has changed us. Man, do you think we have lessons? Do you think we can help a young couple because of what we've been through? Absolutely. All of us have something. All of us have an influence, an opportunity to influence someone. Who is that for you? And that's exactly what Moses says here. Look again at what it says in verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Moses makes the connection that, that the success, the prospering, the blessing never ends with just you. It's about you and your descendants. It's about you and your children and your children's children. We're going to see this over and over again. In, the, in, the, in, the, in the Deuteronomy chapter 6, when we begin reading of it and studying this next week, he says, I'm teaching this to you. I want you to hear this because I want it's for you, your sons, and your sons' sons. I want you to be thinking about three generations. Everything you do, I want you to be thinking about three generations. Think about Paul when he instructed Timothy. He says, I want, you know, these things that I command you, commit them to, to faithful men who will teach others also, right? Four generations. Timothy, take this message I'm telling telling you so you can take it to other people that can take it to someone else. That's exactly what Moses is doing. The same system, the same process, the same plan. Do we have that plan of understanding and say, hey, I'm going to make the choice to influence somebody around me. Here's what we have to understand. And here's what we are confronted with this truth and this reality today. That influence is happening. Influence is happening. Okay, I was just doing the research this week that that uh, young people. When I say young people, you know, elementary age kids. The average elementary age kid is before it has his screen time is between four and six hours a day. Four to six hours a day, a child is has a screen in front of his face. The average teenager, all right, the average person from thirteen to about you know nineteen. The average teenager is looking at a screen for nine hours a day. And I think that number's low, to be honest with you. The average adult, because of work and other things, is, has a screen in front of their face of an average of seven hours a day. Do you think influence is happening? Influence is happening. And I would guarantee you 
that the far majority of the messages and the videos and the content that is being consumed by all of us in this room and everyone outside in our culture by a huge percentage has, does not have a biblical worldview and does not have a good message to share. But we're ingesting it day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, we're being influenced. And we have the choice before us today to say, I, I, I'm going to make sure that my kids in my home are influenced primarily by me and not by a screen. That the people around me, that, that, that when I see this young couple, I want to make sure that I influence them and not you know, some, some guru that they're going to find on YouTube. Because here's what, here's what the people of God, here's what you and I have. What you and I have, we have two things that a screen can never give to another person. You know what those two things are? We can give someone the truth and we can give someone love. And I can promise you this, there's not a lot of truth, there's not a lot of love that they're getting from a screen. And if we, if we you know, this is what Jesus did, he incarnated, you know, Jesus the Son of God incarnates himself, takes on flesh and blood so that he can incarnate, coming full of John 1, full of grace, full of truth. And what you and I have as influencers, influencers of the right things, if God's influencing us, then we can take the love and we can take the truth of Jesus Christ and we can choose to influence someone around us. That's our choice. That's our opportunity. Listen, all of us in this room, all of us in this room have an opportunity to influence. Three questions and then we're done. Number one, number one, what is your opportunity? Who's the opportunity that you have around you? If you're a young person, who's, the, who's, the, who's your peer that you say, that person needs to be influenced by God? As I hear and I love, and I keep the word of God, here's an opportunity for me to influence. Who is the young couple? You, you, you're older. You've got, you know, you, you're looking back, and you can say, man, I've, I've learned a lot about how to raise kids and how not to raise kids. I've learned a lot about marriage. And I can put my arm around another couple and say, man, I can help you not make the same mistakes as I made. What is the opportunity that you have to make a difference? Who are the kids in your own home that you've turned a blind eye to, that you're too busy with? Number two, what's your choice? The choice is before us. We might be able to identify the opportunity, but you still have the choice to make. What is your choice? What's the choice that you're gonna, are you gonna choose to, to let God influence your heart above all? Are you going to choose to be an influencer? Are you going to choose to influence the next generation? Are you going to say, you know what? I'm just looking to coast. I've put in my time. I've done, you know, I, I, I don't even know what I would do. I'm just, I'm done with it. Don't let the enemy rob you of the opportunity to make an impact on the next generation. Okay? Then number three, third one. Who will you influence? Who will you influence? 
Who is the person that you want to influence? There's, there's one of the saddest. I want to close with this passage of Scripture. It's in Judges. And if you want to turn there quickly, Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. This is a, I want to lead, leave you with one of the saddest passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. Because what we have here in Deuteronomy is this great challenge that Moses gives to the people of God. And after this, Joshua would take this generation into the promised land, and they would go through the conquest. But if you look at verse 7 of Judges chapter 2, it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And here it is. Look at the, look at verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. It takes one generation for the people to forget God. And what you have in verse 10 is the, is, the, is the moment by which the virus of idolatry enters into the people of God as the nation of Israel that it takes 900 years to get out of post-Daniel. One of the things that we never see the Jewish people ever struggle again with after the exile is worshiping false gods. But it began here. It took one generation of parents who did not tell of the mighty and good deeds of God to the next generation. My heart and my prayer for us in this church is that this verse 10 does not describe how we will live our lives. That you and I will make the choice. You and I will take the opportunity to influence the next generation. And that on our watch, we will do everything within our power to make sure that next generation knows the Lord God.